You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Good. So uh, today we're going to talk about a villain uh, rather than coronavirus. Um, <laughs> we're looking at the the last couple of days of Jesus Christ leading up to the cross and then the grave. And uh, a lot of things happen, and it's quite the drama. And every drama, well, it, it, it has its villain. And, uh, you know, I, I have this friend, Stephen Ferrugia, and he's put me on stage, and I really don't know why he does that, because I have no idea what I'm doing, right, Andy? <laughs> Andy can attest to that. You know? But I do remember once hearing Alan Rickman saying, the best part to get is the villain. Because he says the villain always has the best lines. You might remember he even played a villain in, in this Robin Hood movie with Kevin Costner, which was like John Dunbar uh, in England or something. But uh, he had this line, something along the, uh, the lines of, Loxley, I'll cut your heart out with a spoon. And, and his little lackey says, why a spoon? And it's, because it would hurt more, you twit. <laughs> Who gets to say lines like that? So yeah, be a villain if you're in a drama, but don't be a villain if you're in the drama of, of real life sort of thing. We're looking at Judas Iscariot today. You know who he is, Judas? He was one of the 12, um, one of the apostles that Jesus chose. Jesus chose him even knowing the course of action that Judas was going to take. None of this took Jesus by surprise. And he's just a fascinating character. We don't know a lot about him. His name is Scariot. gives us an idea of where he came from. Carioth, uh, uh, I think, was, was the, the location. But we don't know a whole lot about his background. We just know that he was one of the, the 12 that walked close with Jesus. He experienced what life was like with Jesus. If anybody was in the best environment that a person could be in, it was probably the 12. But we learned that you can still make some really poor choices, regardless of one's environment. Some people think that maybe he was part of the zealot movement uh, that was very strong in that day, that wanted to uh, militarily overthrow the Roman oppression that was in the area. And, and that was probably what he was, why he was drawn to Jesus, because he thought, this is the guy, this is the one who will finally cause the people to rise up and, and to push back against the Romans so that we can have our country back. If he's this, this coming king that we've been waiting for, they thought he'd be a king like David who would drive out all the Philistines and, and whatnot. Um, and, and so that's possible that that could have been Judas Iscariot. Now, if you've looked at artwork or if you've watched movies about the, the last days of Jesus Christ, uh, Judas is often portrayed, well, kind of as a Weasley character. Yeah, I think we got a couple of pictures here just to give us some examples. Of, yeah, look at that guy. I mean, who wants to hang out with, with him? Any of them at all. Uh, that one up there in the upper right, look at that. He's a bad kisser. <laughs> Literally, you know, because we know he betrayed Jesus with a kiss, but yeah, I don't want your lips touching me. It's like you don't even want to do it. Yeah, that's, that's typically how we think of Judas, right? Okay. So, um, what if Judas looked like this? <laughs> Now, there's probably some people that are Office fans that right now are looking at that and go, how dare you associate Jim Halpert with Judas Iscariot? 
That's just not right. I mean, nice guy. If you don't know the show, you can watch a few episodes. It doesn't take long to figure it out. That Jim Halpert is the nicest guy this side of Jesus that ever set foot on the face of the earth. But why do we not think that Judas could look like that? In fact, let me go one step further. What if he looked like you? See, nobody wants to associate themselves with Judas Iscariot when in reality he was probably more of a clearer representation of humanity than a lot of other people in the Bible. I mean, we all want to compare ourselves to the heroes, right? Not the villains. But truth be told, uh, there's a lot of similarities between me and you and this guy that we know as Judas Iscariot. So I want to look at the text today. We're going to be in Matthew 26, kind of jumping around uh, uh, through some of the passages there and finally ending up in Matthew 27. I thought Justin did a really nice job of uh, laying down the groundwork for us uh, about this this series and and where it's going. And uh, he did a lot of my heavy lifting by talking about the betrayal in the garden and what happened there. So uh, uh, that gives me the opportunity to talk more about this character and Jesus' involvement with this character and what parallels we might draw uh, from that ourselves. But before we go any further, let's pray before we enter the scripture. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that when we open the pages of the Bible up, that we're not just opening up a book. We are opening up your expression of yourself to us. Your unveiling of yourself to each and every one of us. And Lord, we are grateful that we have it in a language that we can understand, that we can read. Thank you that we have that capacity to be able to look into the story for ourselves. But Lord, it's also pretty easy for us to miss things in the story. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would be uh, our teacher today, uh, that you would instruct us all into what you would have us know about you and about this incredible story of Christ going to a cross for our sins and uh, some of the peripheral characters that, that, that come into this story as well. Help us to see how important they are. Uh, in this. So Lord, thank you for allowing us to gather here today. Thank you that your presence changes things. And so we pray for that. We pray for your presence to draw near into each and every one of our lives. And uh, Lord, just help our, help our hearts to hear and our, and our, uh, uh, and for them to be open to respond to your word today. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So here's the story. Uh, it is a setup, basically. Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. Uh, that was a part of a house uh, of an affluent person where they would meet uh, apparently often. And they were using this room this night for what we commonly know as the Last Supper. Okay, The Passover, part of the Passover meal, the lead up to the Passover meal, the cedar meal that's being celebrated by these, these Jewish men. And uh, Jesus incorporates uh, uh, what we now call communion into this whole thing. And he's preparing his disciples for the hours ahead because they just haven't been getting it. He's been telling them over and over again, i got to go to Jerusalem where the chief priests and the elders are going to crucify me. You know, and they just, oh, oh, what? You know, it's like just going right by them. That'll never happen to you. What are you talking about? And, and uh, so he's, he's really kind of getting down to the nitty gritty with them. 
And then he also announces that one of them is sitting at the table is going to betray him. And it's again, it just kind of boggles my mind how the disciples react to this and, and to respond to this whole thing. So that's the setup. We go to, to Matthew 26, starting with verse 14. Then one of the twelve, that's how Matthew identifies Judas, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? The chief priests have been plotting for some time to, to capture Jesus, to somehow get him out of the, out of the way. And uh, Judas, prior to the Last Supper and everything, gets to a point where he actually, one of the twelve, one of the apostles, goes to the Sanhedrin and says, how can I help you out with this? How can I deliver Jesus over over to you? Uh, what would you give me if I were to do that for you? And it says they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Uh, and from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. So that, that's very telling about Judas. This is just one of the main things we know about him. Uh, we know that he was the treasurer of the apostles, that uh, as alms and, and money were brought in, that he was the guy who kind of oversaw that. We have some inferences in the Gospels that he pilfered from the money box. He kind of skimmed some of it off. I don't know what he was going to do with that. I mean, he was living with Jesus. And, he, you know, if you look at the lifestyle that Jesus was leaving right there. They weren't like going to Costco to buy lots of toilet paper and water and that sort of thing. Um, some speculate that maybe he was using that money to fund the zealots and their uprising against against the Romans to get that all set up. Again, we don't know. There's lots about this individual that we don't know. But we know this much, is that something triggered in his heart to say, you know what? I'm going to betray Jesus. And I'm going to hopefully get some money out of doing it. And I'm going to purposely look for the opportunity to actually do this. To actually do this. And again, we're, we're like, why, Judas? Why would you do that? Anybody that would have hung around with a guy like Jesus, why would you want to do such a horrible thing? Well, as we move on, we get to verses 20 through 25 in the same chapter. It says, When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and they were eating. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he'd not been born. You kind of get the idea that Jesus was giving Judas every opportunity that he could to rethink this whole deal. Okay. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Which was a Greek way of saying, You've just admitted it. Okay. Now this is an interesting thing because uh, you know it's really easy for us to look at the twelve and we go, okay, we know what these guys did. We know that they all deserted Jesus Christ uh, before he went to the cross. We know that they just ran like scared rabbits. Okay. We know that Simon Peter denied Jesus Christ three times, and so he's kind of like 
he's kind of you know there's Judas big villain and then there's Simon Peter sort of villainous and then the rest of the disciples kind of not good guys either because they all deserted Jesus in his hour of need you know that's that's what our minds tend to do as we go through this but here's something that's really kind of interesting about this because we know Judas is the betrayer we know that when Jesus says one of you is going to betray me we're all sitting there going yeah I know who it is Okay, like we're you know sleuths or something. Well, we know the story, but living the story is another story. Okay, and and when Jesus makes that announcement, here's something very telling about human nature: the fact that every single disciple said, "Lord, me," indicates that they were aware of the possibility that it could have been me. No, Andrew could have what? He's one of us. Not me. It would it wouldn't be me, would it? He knows Jesus knows that he's going to be betrayed. He'd know who it is. Lord is it I. Now here's something I never noticed before all the time I read this, that eleven guys said, Lord, is it me? And Judas said, Rabbi, is it me? So that seems to give us an indication that Judas himself just never really got to that point where he acknowledged Jesus as Lord. He was a teacher. He was a man of power, a a man of authority, a, a man who hopefully would maybe take action that Judas would like. Goes on to verse 47. Jesus is now in the garden. Uh, Judas had left the the upper room and uh, went to go get his mob. And Jesus is with the eleven now, and uh, they've been attempting to pray. Uh, Jesus has prayed the, the prayer in Gethsemane, and the disciples have fallen asleep several times during that prayer time. And he was talking to them. And verse forty-seven says that while he was still speaking, Judas came. One of the twelve, it's interesting how Matthew keeps emphasizing that, and with him a great crowd crowd with swords and clubs. The guys with the swords probably would have been Roman soldiers that were assigned to kind of keep the peace at the temple, and the guys with clubs would have been the temple police. And so you kind of see how the Romans work. Okay, we'll work with you guys, but you don't get swords. Just in case you want to rise up against us sort of thing. We're going to keep you a notch down below us. But this whole mob comes out and it says, from the chief priests and the elders of the people, now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him, which was customary uh, of a greeting in that day. And right there, as, as Judas delivers that, that poisonous kiss, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. And, and in other versions and other accounts here, he probably added to that, why, why are you here? Do what you came to do. Uh, Jesus was bound for the cross. Remember what Matt said last week? That God has this unshakable resolve to be with us. Uh, Judas isn't a necessary part of the story. Uh, were he not to betray Jesus Christ, um, Jesus still would have ended up on the cross. But it had been prophesied. We could go into all kinds of Old Testament prophecies about all of this, and they're, they're amazing. 
but but the fact of the matter is is that 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 Jesus was going to see this thing through one way or another. It didn't it didn't depend upon Judas for him to go to the cross. It depended upon his resolve to do that because as horrible as the cross is, that's what was needed so that we could be with one another. And this is the thing that just staggers me every time I read this story is that here's if you know if the only person that can betray you is a friend. You think about it. Because that's a person acting like an enemy. Enemies don't betray you. They're just enemies. That's what they do. But when someone you love, someone you trust, does something like this, that's betrayal. And, and those of us with, who have been betrayed, you know, we react to this story because we know how deeply it hurts. We know how much uh, it pains us when someone that we love stabs us in the back and and that's exactly what Judas was doing here and and you know my response would be if I knew that he was doing it and I knew he was carrying I probably would want to punch him it's just my human tendency but not Jesus because remember what we're seeing here and when we're looking at Jesus we're looking at the almighty creator God the eternal God the immutable omniscient omnipotent omnipresent holy righteous loving, life-giving God. The one who spoke the universe into being. Standing there in this garden. And he looks at this guy as his friend. Again, I just can't help but wonder, was Jesus just giving him one more opportunity? One more chance to make a different choice. I wonder how often Jesus looks at me when I make a bad choice. It's his friend. My friend. See, if anything, in the, in the midst of this betrayal, in the midst of this very hard, hard story to tell, um, isn't it amazing that we see the grace of God so poignant, so powerful, so, so clear there? Friend. Then we get to ch- chapter 27. Uh, Jesus has been arrested. It was, it was a mob scene. I'm not going to go into the details of that because other, other speakers are going to have a chance to probably touch on some of those things. Uh, just suffice to say that we know that Jesus was arrested. He was hauled off to, to several trials uh, the night before his crucifixion. And uh, something happened. Jesus, well, he was condemned. Um, he wasn't going to get out of this thing. There was no cavalry to come and rescue him. Um, he is, again, determined, unshakable resolve to go to this place called Golgotha. Uh, Golgotha was the Hebrew name of the, uh, the hill that Jesus was crucified upon, along with the two thieves. Um, so when we get to Matthew 27, uh, we skipped over some of the story about the arrest and the, the trials and that. <laughs> But it comes back to Judas. It says, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 silver pieces. Now this throws some people because some of ours, I think some of our older English translations even say he repented himself. Okay, well here's what we need to understand. There's two words in the Greek that's used for repent that gets translated into the English word repent. One means to be sorrowful that you got caught. The other one is to be sorrowful that you are in a condition that you would do such a thing and you would desire to change that. 
Guess which word is used for Judas? He wasn't sorrowful that he betrayed Jesus out of a broken condition and wanted that fixed. He was sorry that things went the way they went, that it went so badly. Now this might tell us a little bit more about what maybe what his motives were. Maybe, maybe he was trying to corner Jesus, so to speak, to force Jesus' hand, and it all went awry. And he's probably been thinking to himself, well, I never wanted it to go this far. I, I, I didn't mean for him to, to be condemned to death. I, I thought that maybe when, when they started challenging him that he would rise up and, and be the king and, and give the word for us to, to, to all stand up against our oppressors. But that didn't happen. So it says he changed his mind. He brought back the 30 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? Those are nice guys. See to it yourself. I thought these were the guys you were supposed to go to when when you were deep in sin and and you wanted to to make life different or or something like that. And they said, look, we don't care about that right now. All all we care about is, is killing this guy. All we care about is eliminating this, this Jesus of Nazareth. They said, you just go, go take care of this yourself. And throwing down the 30 pieces of silver into the temple, Judas departed, and he went and hanged himself. And that's the end of his story. And, and that's the worst ending I can think of. Well, you know, except that when we watch movies and read books about villains, we kind of like to see them get their due, right? Justice! But not me. I, when, when I read this, I, I think to myself, I could be Iscariot. You could be Iscariot. This could be our story, really. In fact, I would even venture to say that there's lots of people that have a very similar story to Judas. And I'll explain that now. Again, we don't know exactly what Judas's motives were in this. But I believe it comes down to this. I think he was an angry man. I think he looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you're not being the king I want you to be. Do something about that. And that's why he probably betrayed Jesus to force his hand to rise up and be who Judas expected him to be. Well, how many of us get the same idea about Jesus? How many times have we gotten angry at God because God doesn't act the way we think God should act? Circumstances come in life and we don't understand God's control over those circumstances and we think, God, you should not allow those circumstances into our lives. We're, we're kind of upset about that. That's why I say I'm Judas, because I can get there. I can be an angry man who wants to be in control, who then will try to figure out some way to back God into a corner to behave, to behave the way I think God ought to behave. Maybe he thought he was doing a good thing. Maybe he thought, well, this will actually benefit everybody if Jesus rises up and overthrows the Romans. And so, so yeah, maybe he actually even thought he was being the hero in the story. 
how often do we do that too where we have a plan that's not really God's plan and we try to make our plan happen instead of submitting to God's plan thinking hey we're doing a good thing so again I am Iscariot I think something else this story tells about Judas that also is telling of us is the doctrine of depravity have you ever heard of that? The doctrine of depravity. Uh, that's, that's the teaching of the Bible that we are sinners from birth, incapable of doing any righteous deed. Okay? That, that we know that there's just no way that we can impress God <laughs> because we're broken. Okay? Sin isn't a, uh, an action. Sin is a condition. Okay? And, and we're all born into that condition. And we see it, uh, we see it carried out very clearly in black and white in Judas' story here. Uh, I like to call this, instead of the, the doctrine of depravity, I, I like to call this the doctrine of incapability. Because that's the truth of it. Is that we are not capable in ourselves of doing what's right. We are not capable of living a life that is pleasing to God. We are not capable of saving ourselves from our own sins. We're, we're, we're stuck in the water with no means of motivation. And the boat's going down. So I want to go back to another text, Mark chapter 10, and just look at this real briefly here. And correlate it to Judas Iscariot, because uh, I've never read this story before and done this until this week, where I kind of lined up the character of this story against Judas and realized there's a lot of similarities here. And then I went the next step and I lined up this character with Judas, then with myself, and said, there's a lot of similarities here. So it's uh, Mark chapter 10, and you know this story, it's the story often titled, The Rich Young Ruler, or The Rich Young Man. Okay, Let Let me just read that story to you real quick, it's just a couple verses. It says that Jesus was setting out on his journey and a man went up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, Rabbi, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. And I I, I had to have winked when he said that, you know, at least in my mind. I think he had a little wink there as he said, no one's good except God alone. Why are you calling me good? He says, all right, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And the rich young ruler said to him, teacher, rabbi, all these things I have kept from my youth. Man, he is one ethical dude. He obeyed the rules. He watched his P's and Q's. He did what was told. You know, and, and, and really that's the system that a lot of us try to live by. A lot of us try to think that if I'm ethical enough, God will be happy with me. And so, and so this is what this guy's basically saying. I, I've been good enough. I've been, I, I've done all those things. Alright? And Jesus, just to play along with him, says, okay, there's still something that you lack. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. 
And disheartened by this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So here's what happened in this story. Some guy came to Jesus and says, Jesus, I I, want to know what would be best for me. How would that work? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Why don't you just keep the commandments? The guy says, yeah, I have. I've done that. And Jesus says, oh, okay, well, here's the deal. It's not enough. It's not enough. See, Jesus is making very clear how incapable we are. Even if we were able to keep every single commandment perfectly without failure, he says, you're still lacking something. And I often wonder, why, why did he say that? And then I came to realize something. This is where we get tripped up. There's this thing in ethics called divine command theory. And what that is, is it says that right and wrong is determined by God's commands. Okay, that sounds good, doesn't it? At face value. Right and wrong is determined by God's commands. Let me tell you why that isn't a correct way to do things. Because then you make religion a set of rules. And you make salvation something that you're capable of achieving in your own power. And right and wrong is not sourced in God's commands. It's reflected in them, but it's sourced in his character. And that was the thing this guy lacked. He didn't know the character of Jesus. He was standing right there talking to him. He did not know the character of God. That's why he said, why do you call me good? And only God is good. And so what we need to learn as Christians and what we can learn from the rich young ruler, what we can learn from Judas Iscariot is that it's not just obeying a bunch of rules and trying to get the plan right or draw out a schematic for life that's fail-proof or something. It's, It's our task to know the heart of God. Why do you think he gave us the Bible? So we had a bunch of rules to live by? He gave us the Bible so that we could know him and we could know his heart. Do you think that the commands that God gave in the Bible cover every single ethical, moral situation that you or I will encounter? No. We wouldn't be able to carry this thing around if he had to give us a command for every single little thing about how we're supposed to live our lives. So someone came to Jesus and said, so what is the greatest commandment anyway? Jesus said, love. Which isn't a rule. It's God's nature. He says, if you really want to know how to do right and how to do wrong, then love God with everything you've got and then love your neighbor as yourself. You've got to do them both at the same time because you can't do one without the other. And so there it is, Ethics 101 from Jesus. If you go to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about a lot of rules. He said, you have heard that it's said that thou shalt not murder. But he goes beyond the rule and he goes into character and he says, I tell you that if you hate somebody, that's that's you're going to be guilty of murder. He always goes deeper. Because again, he's going to the character issue. Not just the letter of the law. So here we have a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, and Jesus is trying to introduce his character character to him. He says, you know, this is my character. Sacrifice everything. And then come and follow me. Come do what I'm doing. Come walk in my footsteps. Be my disciple. And this guy says, no, I can't do that. That that, that doesn't fit my schematic for life. And the guy went away sad. 
You know, it's interesting that when you read this story in some of the other Gospels, it says, and Jesus loved him. I always like that part, that, that Jesus loves people even when they don't agree with him. Even when they don't kneel down and call him Lord. Even when the furthest they can go is, hey, good teacher. And again, then I ask myself, as I look at the parallels in this, I go, how many times do I treat Jesus as just my teacher, but not Lord? I am a spirit. I'm just as incapable as Judas was. I'm just as incapable as this guy was. We all are. So here's the deal. You can't, you can't do this with, with Judas. You can't say, okay, so there's this scale of villains and kind of villains and, and things like that. And, and then there's God, okay? And nobody can reach God, all right? He's, he's up there in a, in a league all to his own. But when it comes to villains, man, there's Judas. And then there's me. We can't do that. Because of the doctrine of incapability, we're here. And God's up there. There's no kind of thing. We're there. Every single one of us. Needing the exact same thing that Judas needed, the exact same thing that that rich young ruler needed. And that was a real encounter with Jesus Christ. Now here's the other parallel between this story and Judas's story. He went away sorrowful. There could have been another option. Because, because if there's not another option, we're all sunk. The option could have been, how do I do that, Jesus? How, how do I unload this life and follow you? Because I want to do that. If you go back to the story of Judas Iscariot, remember how he dealt with his guilt? Oh, I didn't want this to happen. This is bad. This is, this is bad. So he goes to the chief priests. He goes to men who can't do a thing for us. You know, but how often do we do that? Maybe if we just find the right person, they can fix things for us. Those guys even said it. We can't fix it for you. See to it yourself. So then he did the next thing. He looked at that money. You know, they say stolen bread is sweet, but it turns to gravel in the mouth. I think Proverbs says that. I think the money was doing the same thing to Judas. That it was starting to burn his hand. When he thought more and more about what he had just done to Jesus. And so he flings the money away from him. And don't we do that too? If I can somehow separate myself from this guilt, if I can somehow push off or cast off this thing that I have done or that word that I have said or this thought that I have had that, that, that I will be free. I've been working with, with guys, even guys in the ministry that have been held captive in bondage to addictions, uh, one of them being pornography. And, and they learned real quick that just hiding the porn doesn't solve things for them. They, 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 they're still broken and they're still captivated by it. And even if they haven't looked at it for years, they're, they're still prisoner to that addiction. And, and it's because they've done everything humanly possible. They saw to it themselves to try to deal with that thing. And so the, the result is when we fail in that, um, it could end with such deep despair that one even takes his own life, which is what Judas did. He went away 
sorrowful. So what if Judas, instead of going to the chief priests, instead of throwing away the money, and instead of finding a rope in a tree, what if Judas had gone to Jesus and said, Rabbi, no, Lord, I have sinned against innocent blood. I, I, I put you into their hands. I, I, I kissed you, which was the worst thing I possibly could have done with the, the attitude and the action that I had. Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry. How do I make this right? Jesus would say, well, you can't. Judas said, well, what do I do? Jesus would have said the same thing he says to all of us. Trust me. Trust me. Because even if Judas truly repented, even if Judas had gone to Jesus and said, Lord, save me, save me from myself, Jesus still would have gone to the cross because that's what it would have taken to save Judas from himself. But that's the other ending of the story that didn't happen. Because it always comes down to the choice. Judas always had a choice. And somewhere in the course of his life, he began to make choices that got him so deeply into the devil's influences that the devil entered him and he went and did something that he probably thought he never would have planned on doing. And the same thing happens to us. It comes down to our choices. And the choice of whether or not we're going to pursue the heart of God. Because that's really our task to know Him as He makes Himself known to us. To accept Him as He is and not try to conform Him into our own image of what God should be or what a king should look like or how a savior should act. But just embrace Him as He is. And then to follow Him. Which means go and and live my character. That's why He gives us the Holy Spirit so we're capable of living His character. It all comes down to those choices. But the biggest choice of all is when we're dead in the water because of sin. Is we have to choose, am I going to see to this myself? Or do I go to Jesus? That's our only options. Either somehow we figure it out, and we can't because we're not capable. Or we go to Jesus because He is capable. He is able. And strangely enough, He's even willing to give us forgiveness, to give us grace, to give us a second chance. So that's the story of Judas Iscariot, a guy that threw away the second chance. I am Iscariot. And I will not throw that second chance away. Let's pray. Lord, it's heartbreaking to tell this story because every part of me wants to make Judas the darkest, worst, deplorable piece of humanity that I can imagine. And we never think of him as someone who could be our friend. Someone who could be our neighbor. 
someone that could even be us. And Lord, when we think of him that way, it makes the ending so tragic. But yet, Lord, that's the story that's being told over and over and over again in human lives. And Father, how many people are are making the tragic choice to run away from you, to go away from you, when, when you have demonstrated an unshakable resolve to do whatever it takes to be with us? Lord, first and foremost, may we be a people who run to you rather than go away sorrowful. And secondly, Lord, if we're a people that have run to you, may we be a a people that would go out and not see people as villains or horrid pieces of humanity, but we would just see people as people who are lost, who don't know their way, and point them which way to run. Lord, may we go out into our community here and may we May we build relationships with people and love people the way that Jesus has loved us. And no matter how horrible their decisions might be, no matter how wretched their past might be, how villainous their story is, that, Lord, we would say, yeah, me too. But I ran to Jesus. Let me show you the way. God, there are people perishing. There are souls on their way to perdition, we might say. And all it takes is somebody to get in the way. Someone to have an unshakable resolve to love you the way that you loved us and to love others as you've loved us. Lord, may we be found willing to stand in the way of despair and sorrow and a tragic ending and point people to a cross where a Savior gave Himself for our sins. Lord, let us be that people we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.